0: When our relationship with Jesus is our most important priority, then we will do the things that please. Those who have not been born of God cannot understand or obey God. They believe and behave like Satan because they belong to Satan. Students, if you would open your Bibles to John 8. John 8 will start the narrative at verse 25. As those of you know, we've been in an extended study in the Gospel of John for several months now. Jesus has been ministering in Galilee uh, for over a year now, probably 16 months. And as you recall, He was rejected by the crowds up there. They wanted His miracles, they wanted His free food, they wanted His free healings, but they didn't want to follow Him, they didn't want to give up their sins. So they rejected him and Jesus came back down to Jerusalem and Judea in southern Israel. So he came down for the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles, which was a celebration that commemorated God's uh, saving them throughout the wilderness and protecting them for 40 some years. Now, Jesus has claimed that he is number 1, he's sent by his father in heaven, which means God is his father, he is God, and God sent him to bring the message of salvation for sinners to believe by faith. Now, Jewish religious leaders oppose this and have opposed him from the first six months of his ministry. They're very self-righteous, they don't think they need a Savior, and they believe, literally, that Jesus is demon-possessed and insane. Okay, Two things. Jesus has told the religious leaders, unless you believe that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior, that I am the only way that your sins can be forgiven, you will die in your sins, which means you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Now, the Jewish religious leaders are very self-righteous, and they're convinced that because they're sons of Abraham, they're going to heaven, and therefore Jesus is going to go to hell. They literally tell him that. So by this time, Jesus has probably been in ministry for almost three years, and they've been plotting to kill him for the last two years. He's six months away from his date with the cross. So at John 8, He's been on ministry for about three years, two and a half to three years, and six months from now, he'll go to the cross during Passover. So that's kind of the context. Let's pick up at verse 25. So they, we're talking about the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, the same code word for that group of people. They are saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Now, there is a way you can say, who are you? And there is a way you can say, who do you think you are? (laughs) Well, the scribes and Pharisees were using the latter one. Just who do you think you are to tell us the religious leaders of this land who know the Mosaic law in and out, who are you to tell us that we're going to die in our sins and spend eternity separated from God? And Jesus said, I'm the same person that I claim to be, and I've been saying the same message for months and months and months and months from the beginning of my ministry. And he says, I've got a lot more to say, and it's all going to indict you for your sins, but I only speak what my Father says in heaven. I only speak what the Father tells me to say. In other words, you will read throughout John 6, 7, and 8, repetition after repetition. Jesus said, my message is not my own. My ministry is not my own. I did not come on my own initiative. My heavenly Father is the one who sent me. And you say, well, why did he emphasize that? One, he's claiming his deity. Number two, the Jews claim to know God the Father. Yahweh, in the Old Testament, Jesus says, I come from the God that you claim to worship. I fulfill the Old Testament scripture by fulfilling the Messianic promises. So the point Jesus is making is my identity, my message, and my authority are not human. They are divine. They come from God who sent me to earth. And the Jews completely missed it. They didn't even figure out he was talking about his heavenly father, right? They often thought that Jesus was speaking about physical things. When he was really speaking about spiritual things, they didn't get it. They suffered from willful blindness. Now, willful blindness is a deadly ailment. You've all heard the proverb, there is none so blind as they who, what? Will not see. Not cannot see. Will not willfully choose us to be blind. Their unbelief was a choice. Jesus has already said, in John 7:17, 7, if anyone is willing to do his will, they will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. Jesus is basically saying, if you're willing to obey the truth about me, you'll understand it. If you're unwilling to obey the truth about me, you won't understand it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You can't go to God and say, God, <clears throat> tell me what your will is and I'll decide if I'm going to obey it. God's not going to give you any more truth because you're already putting yourself in a position above him and saying, I'm the one who decides whether I'm going to obey your will or not because my will is more important than your will. God's not going to tell you anything unless you're willing to obey it. Now, there are two pathways to unbelief, and that's where the Jews are. They're in unbelief, but there's two ways to get there. One is ignorance. You don't understand the gospel because you haven't heard it. right? There are people on the planet who've never heard the gospel. Of course, they don't comprehend it. The other way is unwillingness. I know the truth. I've heard the truth. I've been exposed to the gospel, but I refuse to believe it despite the evidence. And by the way, the evidence about the deity of Christ was vast and incontrovertible. He not only claimed to be God, his claim to deity was validated by multiple reliable witnesses. John the Baptist testified that he had fulfilled prophecy. Andrew. Philip and Nathaniel, we learned several months ago, testified to that. God the Father authenticated the ministry of Jesus Christ by giving him hundreds of supernatural miracles to do. Healings, power over nature, power over demons. By the time Jesus finished his ministry, there was very little sickness in Israel. He had literally done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of healings. All this demonstrating his deity. Jesus' own words gave witness to his deity. What did did they describe him as? They said, Jesus speaks as one with authority, not as our scribes. They even understood the the officers who came to arrest him, they came back empty-headed, and the Pharisee says, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, no man ever spoke like this man. Well, yeah, he wasn't a man. He was God. Even they understood that he spoke with biblical and divine authority. The scriptures themselves testify to the authenticity of Jesus' claim to be deity. The Old Testament is filled with prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus is fulfilling them one after the other after the other. And the scribes and Pharisees knew that. They knew the Old Testament cold, and Jesus was fulfilling prophecy in front of them. And the Pharisees saw the proof. They saw the evidence. They knew that God had testified about the authority of Jesus Christ to be God, And they refuse to believe. And that refusal locked them into a state of ignorance. We would call that spiritual stupidity. It is, you're foolish, you do not understand, because you choose not to believe. And that's where you're stuck. And you and I know people like that. They've been exposed, and you're saying, how come they can't see it? Because they don't want to see it right? It's not a question of evidence, it's a question of willingness. Verse 28, how does Jesus address that? So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for, underline this, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He said these things, many came to believe in Him. Here's our first principle. Here's the principle. When our relationship with Jesus is our most important priority, then we will do the things that please Him. When our relationship with Jesus is our most important priority, then we will do the things that please Him. Jesus uses this word, lift up. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, something's going to happen. It generally refers to a position of esteem. You're lifted up, you're elevated above others, indicates a position of honor and exaltation. Here, lift up refers to crucifixion. He's going to be lifted up on a cross where everybody can see him. And that's a place of suffering and shame and humiliation and death. Philippians 2 notes that and says, because Jesus emptied himself, become a servant, humbled himself to the point of a slave, dying on the cross as a common criminal for the sins of the world, he will be lifted up by who? God the Father. God will lift him up and exalt him and give him what? The name that is above every name, right? And exalt him in the heavenlies. So what Jesus is saying You will know when you crucify me that I am the Messiah. Your eyes will be opened at that point. By the way, it doesn't mean that all of them will respond by faith. We know that many of the scribes and Pharisees probably went to their grave opposing him. But it means they will know a couple of things. Number one, they'll know that Jesus is God. And they will know that the only thing he taught them was what his father taught him. The crucifixion will convince many unbelievers that Jesus is who he said he is. Think about it. At Christ's crucifixion, what happened? There was darkness over the whole land for three hours. 12 noon to 3 p.m. at the point of Jesus' death. Darkness. Just for three hours. Out of nowhere. Right? Out of heaven. It also says a massive earthquake occurred. Same time frame. And it says that many dead people were resurrected and came out of the tombs. Now put yourself in a position of an observer. You know, you're in the land, and Jesus is on the cross, and you've heard about this teacher, and you go, well, he's just a guy, and he's another guy. We hear these prophets all the time yapping about being, you know, Messiah, blah, blah, blah. And for three hours, it's dead dark, you can't see your hand in front of you. A massive earthquake occurs, drops you on the ground, and then you see dead people who you knew were buried, and they're alive and walking around. You think you got a little supernatural evidence that maybe this is no ordinary man? Even the Roman centurion said what? Surely this is the Son of God. Well, duh. Yeah, there's evidence, experiential evidence at that point in time. And then three days later, his resurrection was the capstone, proof of his divine power over life and death, and demonstration that he is who he says he is, God in the flesh, come to save the world from their sin. So repeatedly, Jesus has been claiming, God my Father in heaven is the author and the authority for everything that I'm saying and doing. I never operate independently from my Father, and I was never alone because my Father is always with me. And this, Jesus then makes a statement that pokes a large knife in my heart every time I read it. He says, quote, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. How would you like that on your gravestone? I have always done the things that are pleasing to my heavenly father. Now that's a life mission statement that you ought to put down somewhere and write it in blood somewhere. Jesus' life mission on earth and ours as well is to do what? Please the Lord by living a life of loving and joyful obedience to him. To do the things that are pleasing to the Lord it assumes something. You have to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. How do you find out what's pleasing to the Lord? Spend time with Him. How do you discover what's pleasing to the people you love? Whether it's your children, your nieces and nephews, your grandchildren, your spouse, your friends, whatever. Spend time with the people you love so you can find out what pleases them. The same thing is true of the Lord. If we're going to find out what pleases them, we have to spend time with Him. And we know what pleases him. What does Mark 12.30 say? They they asked him, what's the foremost commandment of all? You know the foremost commandment. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Loving the Lord is the way to please him. John writes in a few chapters in John 14.15, how do you know you love God? How does God know you love him? It's not what falls out of your mouth, it's your behavior, right? If you love me, you will what? Keep, obey my commandments. And in verse 24, he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. So disobedience is evidence of no love, obedience is evidence of love. If you love God, you will want to know his will, and you will want to do what he says because loving obedience pleases God. And for the Christian, pleasing God is the highest priority in all of life because we belong to Him because He redeemed us. Someone who habitually disobeys God and God's word and does it without repentance doesn't love God. Very simple. We can look at the behavior and see that. It says, as a result of these words, many came to believe in Jesus. Now, these are ones who believe that Jesus was the prophet, they had seen His miracles, they know His power. However, not all of them believed that Jesus was God in the flesh. Many of them made an outward profession, but it was pretty superficial, pretty shallow. They wanted the earthly benefits Jesus gave. They wanted the healings. They wanted the food, but they didn't want to give up their sin, and they sure didn't want to follow him completely and forsake their religious traditions. Now, Later in this chapter, we're going to find out what this crowd consists of. They're slaves to sin. They're trying to kill him. Many of them are liars, and Jesus even said, you are children of of the devil. Pretty strong language. Now this supernatural belief, I mean superficial belief, this shallow belief, Jesus had already talked about this. You remember the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils? Jesus said, the sower is Jesus, the shepherd, right? The seed is the gospel, and he he seeds the gospel, sows the gospel, we seed the gospel, sow the gospel, and the human heart that receives the gospel is one of four soils. Remember, you had a hard soil that just rejects the gospel. Then you had a shallow soil, a weedy soil, and then you had the good soil. Well, this superficial belief in Jesus, the shallow belief, that's soils number two and three. You know, the shallow soil, an inch or so deep, and underworth you got limestone. Seed can't get through, sprouts up, but when trouble comes, walks away, forsakes the Lord. The weedy soil is so filled with the things of this life that it chokes out the Word. Because, you know, we've got so many things in life that are more important than that, right? We've got to take care of our our, our earthly concerns at that point. Many people's faith is superficial. They come to Christ, and they fall away from Christ. You know some of them because they've been here and they're no longer here, because He doesn't meet their expectations or their demands. I thought that when I became a Christian, it was going to be easy street, health and wealth, baby, you know, and it didn't turn out that way. So I am so disappointed with the Lord, I'm done with this. Yeah, you know, right? Now, Jesus already warned the Jews about this early on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, underline this, he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter. See, getting into heaven requires more than just talk. It means after you pray a prayer to receive Christ as savior, it doesn't end there, it begins there. Now you are saying, I'm gonna live a life of following and obeying my Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in his word. See, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. No question, you are not saved by works, you are saved by faith alone, But faith that saves is never alone, right? Genuine faith perseveres. Genuine faith produces fruit. Jesus said, if you got a good tree, it produces good fruit, right? So we're not only saved to be here, we're saved to produce fruit. And that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to produce good works, and we're here to obey God's word. So Jesus was saying to them, verse 31, saying to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Many of you have heard that phrase before. Let's try and unpack that. The principle is this. Real freedom comes from knowing Jesus through faith, abiding in his word, and obeying what he says. Let me repeat that. Real freedom comes from knowing Jesus through faith, abiding in his word, and obeying what he said. Now remember, we're talking about Jews that have, quote, believed in him. This is the crowd that they, they believed in the sense that they liked what he did, and they recognized his supernatural miracles. What they didn't like is when he told them they were sinners. And they didn't like the fact that he told them he was the only way to heaven. Now Jesus gives this very shallow, committed crowd. He gives them the benchmark for true discipleship. He gives them the standard that says, Here's the question. How do you know if you are a true disciple of Christ? How do you know if you're a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? And Jesus says, if you continue in my word. If you continue in my word. Now, continuing in his word implies you've already started, right? It assumes you've already responded by faith to God's word by trusting in Jesus for salvation. You don't get saved by continuing in his word. You remain faithful as a disciple by continuing in his word. So he's assuming here that you have come to faith in Christ and you're a believer. How do you remain a disciple, a learner? You continue in his word. And the word continue is a very interesting word. It means to abide. It means to dwell. It means to reside. It means to be at home in God's word. Right? It means to live in God's word as opposed to just visiting occasionally as a guest. Now, we should know our way around God's Word like we know our way around our own home. You should spend as much time in God's Word as you spend in your own home so you're familiar with it. It is absolutely unconscionable to be in Christ for 20 years and be illiterate biblically. That's That's insane right? Spiritually, that's insane. So he says, Jesus is saying, don't open this book occasionally as a guest. Live in it like you live in your home. Most of you, and me too, could probably find a way around our house if you turned all the lights out at midnight. You know your house well enough to know where the walls are and the countertops and all this other stuff. I know some of us run into it even in daylight, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you had bruises underneath where you banged into stuff, you know, and we no longer heal. But I'm, you know, follow me here. We should know our way around God's word. We should be familiar with it. And familiar means you spend enough time with it. So Jesus is saying, if you remain connected with me, by knowing and loving and obeying my word and letting it influence and control every area of your life, then you're a genuine disciple. By the way, doesn't mean you won't stumble and fall, but you will persevere and endure till the end. All true believers will persevere, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, they left the fellowship, but they were not really of us. For if it had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. A genuine disciple, a genuine believer, remains faithful. It doesn't mean they won't stumble. It doesn't mean they won't fall. But at the end of the day, they will come back to the Lord. And if they don't come back, they never belong to Him in the first place. right? Now, genuine disciples persevere, but you don't persevere in your own strength. I don't persevere in my own strength. You know what my ability to persevere in my own is? Zero. Zero. I have no capacity to persevere without divine help. The Holy Spirit who lives inside us, He's the one that keeps us faithful. He brings conviction of sin. He prompts us to obedience. And He seals us so that our salvation is secure. Our brother-in-law, before he died, this was his favorite verse, his life verse, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will perfect or will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So your, your confidence that you will remain faithful to the Lord had better not rest on your own strength because you don't have any, just in case you're wondering. But if you depend on the Holy Spirit moment by moment, He will keep you faithful, and he will keep you fruitful, and he will keep you connected. Jesus said, if you continue, if you abide, if you're at home in my word, my word means the sum total of everything I said and everything I did. You have God's word in your lap, right? Or on your phone. Abiding in his word means obeying it, which, by the way, is a definition of discipleship. Jesus gave us an interesting metaphor Number of chapters earlier in the Synoptic Gospels, he said, Everyone who hears my word and acts on my word that they know is like a wise man who built his house on a rock, right? He said, Everyone who hears my word and does not act on them is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And when the inevitable storm of judgment comes, The life that falls apart is the one who said and knew but did not do. If you say and you know and you do not obey, you're building on the sand. It's not knowledge, it's living in accordance with the knowledge. That's the foundation, the life that holds together and survives the storm is the one who not only knows God's word, but lives a life in obedience to it. That's building on the foundation. There are many, many people who know a lot about God's word. But if they're not living it, if they're not obeying it, there's no foundation other than sand. And God has an interesting way of showing us what our life is built on because he allows the storms. Yes, you've been through a few of those? And when you get to the storms, you get a diagnosis, you get your heart broke, whatever it happens to be, you go, whoa, what am I grounded in? What am I founded on? Is the rock the foundation that I'm living on? If you have a genuine saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you will keep his commandments. You will obey him. You will not maybe do it perfectly because none of us are, but your heart's desire will be you will want to please the Lord, and when you do fail Him and you do disobey, you will come back in repentance. I have to repent dozens of times a day. Dozens. Dozens. We've talked about this. 1 John 2:4 says: The one who says, I have come to know him. I'm a Christian, I know Jesus and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John's pretty direct here, right? He says, if you claim to know him and you don't obey, you're lying. You don't know him. Pretty direct. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know, comprehend the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, who's a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a student. Discipleship is following Jesus wherever he goes, without any exceptions. A genuine disciple understands that the truth is found in God's Word. You know, you all know that truth liberates from ignorance, right? That being um, ignorant is not bliss, Permanently, It may provide bliss temporarily because, you know, there's a hurricane offshore in Florida and the warnings are out, but you don't listen to the radio or watch the news, so you don't know the hurricane's there. And everybody around you is panicked and leaving Dodge, and you camp out and go, well, we're going to do a barbecue this afternoon because you don't know that there's a hurricane coming. Right? That's ignorance. And it works. Until the hurricane makes landfall. Then it's catastrophe, right? So think about truth and ignorance. If you are literate, if you can read and write, you have more freedom than someone who's illiterate, yes? You have an entire universe available to you because you can read and write and speak, and someone who can't, they don't have that universe available to them, so they have less freedom. If you're in a foreign country and you cannot speak the language because you don't know it, You have less freedom than if you're fluent in the language of the country you visit. Yes? Okay? Now, the truth that Jesus is talking about, he says, you shall know the truth. Well, what's truth he's talking about? He's talking about salvation truth. He's talking about truth that saves. It's truth about Jesus that leads to salvation. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the the follower of Jesus knows the truth. Not because followers of Jesus are inherently smarter. Followers of Jesus know the truth because the Holy Spirit lives inside us and teaches us the truth. John 16, 13, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will what? Guide you into all the truth. So this is one of the reasons over and over Scripture says, pray, pray, pray. For what? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask up. God, many of us are facing situations in life that we just don't have answers to. From a human standpoint, we are in a cul-de-sac, a box canyon, and it's a dead end, and there is no human solution. And the Lord led us into that canyon most often, so we would stop trusting in our own brilliance. And look up, and trust Him. Who will guide you into all truth? Not the media not your buddy on Facebook, right? The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth, but you have to ask, right? Talk to him. He says, I will lead you into truth. Now, the salvation truth saves people from the penalty of sin. It also sets them progressively free from the power of sin. Here's the the reality. We all have temptations. We all have temptations to sin. The more time you spend in God's Word, knowing it, understanding it, and obeying it, the more freedom from sin you will experience. You want to be free from sin? Pick up the sword of the Spirit. Know what it says. Quote it to the devil. Jesus did three times. Satan fled. If you don't know what the Word says, you can't wield the sword of the Spirit and cut Satan with it. That's how you battle temptation. Right? Verse 33, how did the Jews respond to this? And they said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So, underline this, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Here's the principle. Only Jesus, God's Son, can set people free from slavery to sin. Only Jesus, God's Son, can set people free from slavery to sin. So the Jews respond to Jesus' offer to set them free. They claim we've never been enslaved to anyone. Well, I don't think they're talking about physical slavery because they were enslaved by Egypt for 400 years, right? Right. The Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and now the Roman Empire have all invaded Israel, subjugated them. They're occupied by Rome at this time. So it's likely the religious leaders of Judaism are not talking about political freedoms, probably start talking about spiritual freedom. And they are saying, we are descendants of Abraham. We have his bloodline. Abraham was the friend of God. God promised Abraham, any nation that curses you, I will curse. Any nation that blesses you, I'll bless. I'll make you a great nation, Abraham. And they believed they were in right standing with God. They believed they were going to go to heaven based on their religious heritage. Because we have the bloodline of Abraham, because we are physical descendants of Abraham, therefore God covers whatever we do, and we're going to get to heaven. There was actually um, a, a, a rabbi who taught, and some people believe that that, Ab- that Abraham was seated at the mouth of hell. And if you could prove Jewish ancestry, you wouldn't go in. Yeah, that's not in the Bible, but anyway, that's what they believed. What they were blind to is their spiritual pride and legalistic self-righteousness. J.C. Riley, this has stuck with me all week. Here's the quote. The power of self-deception an unconverted man is infinite. The power of self-deception in unconverted man is infinite. You have friends who are lost. They are lost. They're going to die in their sins because they refuse to repent and they have deceived themselves and they do not have the Holy Spirit and that deception is infinite. See, most people believe they're free. I can do whatever I want to, right? You've heard that. They're really controlled by their sin nature. You ever talk to somebody? I used to hang out with people like this. I can quit smoking anytime I want. I can quit drinking anytime I want. I can quit fornicating anytime I want. I just don't want to. Let's try it and find out if you really can. I don't want to. right? That's called lying to yourself, Right? (laughs) It's also called slavery. I don't want to find out if I can. Right? Because deep down, I know I can't, but I'll cover it by saying, well, I just don't want to. Okay. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. See, the reality is none of us can sin without being entrapped in it and entangled with it. It's like the insect. I don't know if you've heard about the pitcher plant. It's a big pitcher. It's a flower. And it's got very sweet nectar and insects walk up because the scent is unbelievable. And then they go over the edge and fall into the pool in the bottom, and it's really digestive enzymes that eats them alive, right? The pitcher plant. Don't mess with the pitcher plant in your life. There's one for you too, right? <laughs> if a fly plays on a spider web, just has fun on a spider web. Sooner or later, it's going to be lunch, right? If you play with a snake, sooner or later, you're going to get bit. If you drink and drive, sooner or later, bad things will happen. May not happen tonight, but sooner or later, it will happen. St. Augustine wrote that slavery to sin is worse than, worse than any other form of slavery. He says, You know, if you're a slave to a person, you're a slave to a government, you're a slave to a system, you might be able to escape. But if you sin, you cannot escape your guilty conscience. It goes with you wherever you go. Escape is impossible. He says, if you sin to obtain pleasure, the pleasure passes away quickly, right? You know, it's interesting. One piece of chocolate cake might be good, but three is probably not a good idea. I can tell you for a fact that the good feeling from the chocolate cake taste disappears really quickly, and now you go, (laughs) right? The sting remains. Sin always leaves a bee sting in your body. Here's the gospel truth. The unredeemed sinner cannot not sin. They are not able not to sin. Paul writes about this slavery to sin in Romans 7.19. He says, for the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which indwells me and and controls me. See, sinners without Christ do not have the power not to sin, by the way. Neither do they have the desire not to sin. What they do have is the desire to avoid the consequences of their sin. They want to sin without consequence. By the way, we do too. And we lie to ourselves from time to time to say, if I do this, there will be no consequence. There are always consequences. Amen? Always. John 3, 19 to 20 says that despite consequences, sinners reject the gospel because they love the pleasures of sin, which are always temporary, and the consequences are eternal. So the Jews, their physical descendants of Abraham, Jesus said, you're in God's household, But because you're sinners, you're there as slaves, not as sons. By the way, a slave does not have the same privilege as sons. Back in the day, you could sell slaves at any time to anyone. The son's position is permanent. Here's what Jesus was saying. The relationship that counts is not your blood relationship to Abraham. That's what's not important. What's important is your spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. And those who are slaved to sin and refuse to repent, that was the Pharisees, they're not redeemed. Jesus said, I am the true son. I am in my father's house forever, right? I came from heaven, I'm going back to heaven, and I have the power from God to set you free. And if you want to be set free from sin and death, you too can become a son of God and adopted or a daughter of God and adopted into his family through faith in Christ. And you have a permanent relationship like a blood relative does, a son or a daughter of dad or mom. So God gives redeemed people a new nature. Did you know, and I know all you do, before you came to Christ, you didn't have the power not to sin. Before you came to Christ, you didn't have the desire not to sin. I used to enjoy my sin. I became a Christian... It wasn't fun anymore. It became really, really painful. And I thought, hey, stupid. That's no longer fun because you belong to somebody else. You have a new set of desires. Now, pleasing Jesus Christ brings me great joy and displeasing him brings me agony. And that's how it should be. We have a new nature. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, and yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things that you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Here's the principle. Those who claim that God is their father should act like his children. Those who claim that God is their father should act like his children. See, they were Abraham's physical descendants, but they sure weren't his spiritual descendants, right? Abraham's descendants would not seek to kill God, reject God's word, kill Jesus. We know that Abraham received God into his tent in Genesis 18. He believed God's promise that he would have a son in his old age. And Jesus said, if you're a a child of Abraham, if you're a son of Abraham, then believe me and trust me and obey me like your father Abraham did. You're rejecting me or you're trying to kill me. Jesus said, why are you doing that? Because you're acting like your father. Well, we know that children, biological children, usually kind of look like their parents, act like their parents, for good or bad and they share the same DNA with their parents. As we age, most of us are now saying, I'm becoming my parent. (laughs) And that is not said with a great deal of joy. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you go, "Oh, this is real trouble, right? I'm just like my father, I'm just like my mother. Of course you are, you have their DNA. And you were raised by them, kind of, sort of. See, how you behave reveals who you are, reveals your nature. Jesus described the religious leaders in Matthew 7, 16. He says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but what? Bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, the Jews say, look, we're sons of Abraham." Jesus said, if Abraham is your spiritual father, then act like he acts. The proof of the pudding is in your behavior. You claim to be a son of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. That proves that you're not a son of Abraham. You have no relationship to Abraham because Abraham was a man of faith. Now Jesus explains why they are behaving the way they are behaving. And he says in verse 41, you are doing the deeds of your father." They say to him, we were not born of fornication, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. So their behavior reveals their spiritual DNA. When Jesus tells them that they're acting like their father, they say, well, we weren't born of fornication. There's probably two meanings here. First and foremost, they were saying, we're not pagan idolaters, right? We only worship the God of Israel. Now, the implication here is, you don't know this, but I'll explain to you. Pagan worship of any deity for centuries and thousands of years almost always involves sexual activity with temple prostitutes. That was just the nature of pagan worship. They believed that when you were involved sexually with a temple prostitute, you would come closer to the God who you were worshiping. So you see how perverted this is and how Satan uses human appetites under religious guises to destroy uh, people. And in fact, that scripture labels illicit sexual activity, not between spouses, as fornication. So they say, we weren't born of fornication. We're not like those pagan Gentiles were Israelites, son of Abraham. That's number one meaning. Number two, that was probably an insult to Jesus, right? They were referring to his virgin birth. Jesus said, if you love God the Father, you will love God the Son. If you hate God the Son, you hate God the Father. He was telling the Jews, you cannot have a relationship with God the Father and reject me, God the Son, because I and the Father are what? One. Jesus eternally coexisted with God, and he was sent by God on a mission of mercy. He came to seek and to save the lost, right? Those enslaved by sin. Verse 43 are some of the strongest words in Scripture out of the mouth of our Lord, perhaps with the exception of Matthew 23. He says, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in it. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Here's the principle. Those who have not been born of God cannot understand or obey God. They believe and behave like Satan because they belong to Satan. Let me say that again. Those who have not been born of God cannot understand or obey God. They believe and behave like Satan because they belong to Satan. Now, Jesus has been ministering in Israel for somewhere in excess of two years at this point, pushing three. He's performed miracles, he's demonstrated that he is the Messiah. The Jewish religious leaders have rejected his claims despite the evidence, and they're planning to kill him, even though they claim that God is their father. Jesus explains they don't understand him and they reject him despite the evidence because they don't belong to God, they belong to the devil. And he describes the devil as a murderer, which an interesting description. What's the very first thing we read in Genesis 3? Number one, Satan lied to Eve, and because Eve bought the lie, the entire human race was murdered in one fell swoop. Eat the fruit, disobey God, sin enters the world, as a result of sin comes death, separation from God. Spiritual separation occurred immediately at that point, and. Physical, inevitable, physical death occurred later on. We have life expectancy for some time. But at that point, we were immediately spiritually executed because we were separated from God because Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord at that point in time. So Satan murdered the entire human race. And he did that because obviously he hates God. Now, Genesis 3 tells us a couple things. One, pretty clearly, is the human race is only separated into two camps. There are those who belong to God. And there are those who belong to Satan. And those who belong to God follow God. By your fruits you will know them. Those who who belong to Satan follow Satan. By your fruits you will know them. So we should not be um, shocked at sinful behavior. We should expect it. Those who belong to Satan behave like Satan. They have no supernatural power To be obedient to the Lord. So we go, well, how come the world is going to you-know-what in a handbasket? Of course, because it belongs to the devil. That should be expected. By the way, side note. Someone laid this on me two weeks ago and has been boggling my mind ever since. When you look at the world today, from a human standpoint, things are falling apart. The wheels are coming off civilization. We are reverting back to barbarian, animal-like behavior, right? That's a human standpoint. Things are falling apart. From God's perspective, things are never falling apart. Things are falling in place. Write that down, and remember, when you look at the news and you want to open your veins with a rusty scalpel, things are falling in (laughs) place. Or maybe a very sharp one if you're really serious, right? Right? You should not be surprised. See, when you say they're falling in place, what's the presupposition? God's in control and He's got a plan. And He uses everything to fulfill His plan, including evil. He's been using Satan for since the time of His creation to accomplish His divine purposes. If He can use Satan to do, use his, accomplish His divine purposes, He's not worried about... Presidents, and dictators, and wannabe big shots, you know, they're going to die. And they will fulfill God's purpose while they're on the planet. Even in rebellion against God, they're still fulfilling His purposes. Things are never falling apart. They are always falling in place. We have trouble because we don't see the pattern. You don't have to. He does. He's running the universe. Be comforted, right? Now, children possess their parents' physical DNA, that's why they look and act like them. The same is true spiritually. Every human being is born in sin from birth because the human race fell, and we naturally follow Satan's path of rebellion against God. It is impossible for people who do not possess the Holy Spirit to comprehend, let alone follow God. 1 Corinthians tells us that, 1 Corinthians 3.14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them. Why? They are spiritually appraised. They are blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Right? How do their eyes get opened? Only through the Holy Spirit of the living God. And that's why we pray. And Jesus said, unless you come to me, you're going to die in your sins because you belong to Satan. And you say, well, Jesus is pretty harsh. Yeah, he is. He's pretty direct because this is life and death. If you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. That's not popular to say, but it's reality. And Jesus loves these people who want him dead enough to tell them the truth, even when it wasn't popular. So don't be shy about telling people the truth. Tell them in love, but tell them the truth. And Jesus is a perfectly righteous judge to tell him, you know what he says to him? He says to the people that want him dead, who of you convicts me of sin? Now that's a really open statement. Convict me of sin. You've seen me minister for three and a half years. If I've sinned, point it out. Now if I said that, you'd have a big target, right? (laughs) A lot of things in Brad's life, pretty obvious they're sin, right? And you too. Jesus is saying to his enemies, show me the sin. Show me that I'm not a righteous judge. And they couldn't find one thing. And believe me, they were motivated to try. You want demonstration that he lived a sinless life? The people that watched him like a hawk, who hated him and wanted him dead, couldn't find one thing against him. And Jesus demonstrates to us, if you love someone, you'll speak the truth and love to them, even when it's hard, because they need reconciliation to God, and they need to live together. And we who believe like Jesus, believe in Jesus, should live lives that demand an explanation. So that people are attracted to Christ because of the love they see in our lives. Okay, let me review principle number one. When our relationship with Jesus is our most important priority, then we will do the things that please Him. By the way, If you're doing things that don't please him, what you're telling me is that the sin you're committing is more important than your relationship with Jesus. Every time I sin, it's because I want my way more than his way. I'm believing a lie. He's not my number one priority at that point in time. I'm worshiping myself, which leads to sin. Number two, real freedom comes from knowing Jesus through faith, salvation, and then abiding in his word and obeying what he says. You cannot obey what you do not know. You abide in the word first so you know it, and then you pray for power to obey it. Number three, only Jesus, God's son, can set people free from slavery to sin. If you don't know Jesus, you're in slavery. Number four, those who claim that God is their father should act like his children. And this is very convicting for you and me because we claim to know it. We bear the name Christian, and we bear the responsibility to live like it so that people go, whoa, you're acting like Jesus act. Yes, that's the point, right? And lastly, those who have been not been born of God cannot understand or will obey God. They believe and behave like Satan because they belong to Satan. They need to be set free. And only Jesus Christ can do that. Thank you for your attention. This is a lot of material. Um, next week, Lord willing, read ahead. We'll be back here in 167 hours. Now that you know, do...